Hi, I'm Yaakov Katz, and welcome to another episode of the Jewish People Policy Institute's Inside Analysis of the State of Affairs in Israel and the Jewish World. On today's episode, we have a special guest, the Chief Rabbi of South Africa, Rabbi Warren Goldstein. And we're talking to Rabbi Goldstein because in addition to being the leader of a significant and large and influential Jewish community in South Africa, uh, and one of the larger Jewish communities around the world, Rabbi Goldstein has been taking a very strong position against his government over its ties with Hamas, over its support of Hamas, and over the charge that it brought against Israel, taking Israel to the International Court of Justice, the ICJ at The Hague, over charges of genocide. Rabbi Goldstein, it's great to have you with us. Yaakov, thank you so much. So nice to to talk to you again. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack here. And firstly, I just want to, before we dive into the legal issues and some of the more thorny issues, let's just touch briefly. What's the mood like for Jews today in South Africa? How are things, you know, big community in Johannesburg, there's a nice sized community in Cape Town and some other places throughout the country, but those are the two primary communities. What's it like there? Because we hear a lot of other communities around the world under siege, uh, fears of walking around without a kippah, anti-Semitism, very blatant. We've seen some cases of this, but what's the mood like just for the general average Jew? Tell you what has been um, a devastating blow for the community from um, an emotional, psychological point of view um, and, and a spiritual point of view as well is the South African government, the ANC government's anti-Israel position that the ANC government, and I you know, don't like to refer to it as South Africa, it's the ANC government who has been one of the leading anti-Israel forces in the world. And for a proudly Zionistic Jewish community, that is um, something that causes outrage. It's something which causes deep uh, upset, you know, as, as a Jewish community for us, our connection to Israel and our pride in the state of Israel is, is something that goes to the very depth of Jewish identity in, in South Africa. And, you know, to have a government so publicly attacking the state of Israel is is something which uh, which which has upset the community deeply on a profound sense. It's not just well, okay, we're just a bit upset or irritated or angry. It's it's profoundly upsetting. But if you contrast that, it's very interesting, and it and it sort of tells a story. The day to day life for the Jewish community, walking in the streets, you don't experience anti semitism in the streets. Um, you know, people walk around, men walk around with kippot. The, the there's you know on Shabbat, you you there have been there has been an increase of of incidents. But when you when you compare it to global standards, South Africa historically has always had amongst the lowest rates of recorded anti-Semitic incidents of any community in the world, and and it continues that that record. Thank God. And um and even since October seven. Relatively speaking, compared to what other communities have been going through, it's um, it, it, it's been very quiet on that front, thank God. There have been Jewish businesses that have been targeted by BDS activists. Um, and again, there's a big discrepancy here between um, the, 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 the population of South Africa, the ordinary South Africans, your average citizen, versus the activists and versus the ANC. Because remember, South Africa is, has a population of 60 million. Of those 60 million, more than 59 million are Christians. 
less than half a million Muslims. Jewish community, you know, fifty-five thousand. So we're 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 small in number in in that context, but impact on the country is is large. Um, but actually, of those Christians, most are from evangelical churches, uh, very similar to what you would know from the United States. And therefore, there is a natural sympathy and support for the state, despite of the political level. Yes, interesting. You, but because of the politics, though, you uh, early on in this conflict. Um, you decided to change or amend or rewrite, I think it was mid-October, you rewrote the prayer uh, that you usually say on Shabbat in in synagogues. We we know this from around the world, right? Whether if you're a Jewish community in Canada or in the United States or in the UK or, of course, in South Africa, we have a prayer for the state of Israel, and there's a prayer also for the local government. And you decided to amend that prayer because of the ANC support for Hamas. What was that about? Yes, so the the amendment was that the previous version of the prayer, which had actually the draft of it, I inherited from my predecessor, Chief Rabbi um, Cyril Harris of Blessed Memory. We began saying this prayer from 1994 with the advent of freedom and democracy in South Africa. And what what I removed from the prayer, the, the, the previous draft of the prayer was that we pray for the president, the deputy president, the members of the government, um, and and then the people of South Africa. And so what I did was I removed reference to the government so that we would pray then only for the people of South Africa, no mention of the president, deputy president, or the members of the government. And that was done, as you said, um, sort of mid-October when I saw that uh, President Soramaphosa and the ANC government came out, literally, you know, guns blazing in favor of Hamas, that in their public statements, uh, with, within a week of October 7, even before any Israeli action, defensive action had been taken, they were already saying you have to see October 7 in the context of 75 years of occupation, uh, horrific, morally repugnant statements. The, the the South African Foreign Minister Naledi Pandor then flew to Tehran within a week or so of October 7 to have meetings with them. She had telephone calls with the top leadership of Hamas, just out, outrageous behavior, morally repugnant, and just felt that there's no way that we can in good conscience pray for the welfare and the blessing uh, of a government such as this. And so I removed them from the prayer. Why do you think that there is this, I mean, it's interesting what you mentioned because, and and I want to get into the ICJ and you also have background as a lawyer and international lawyer. So, so we, you know, it's interesting. You could talk about Halacha, you could talk about civil rights, human rights, and and law. So we have a lot to potentially talk about. Um, but you know, you, you mentioned that a lot of the South African people are these evangelicals who are actually supportive of Israel. But you have at that government layer, really, I mean, staunch support of Hamas, the recalling of their ambassador. You referred to them at one point as useful idiots of Iran, right? The the, the government because of after they decided to recall uh, the ambassador and diplomatic staff to uh, back to South Africa, the or maybe there wasn't an ambassador. I don't remember exactly what the status was at the time, but all the diplomatic staff, basically. Why is there this deep connection with the Iranians? Why is there this deep connection with Hamas? I think there, there are two things which are driving it. Um, there's an element of ideology. There is an element of ideology. One can't exclude that. Like, say, for example, um, Jeremy Corbyn had won that election in the UK. 
then you would probably find the UK at the ICJ taking Israel, you know, on charges of genocide. I mean, in fact, he joined, he joined the um, the South African application. Hey, yes, to support the South African application. If um, you know, if AOC became the president of the United States, you could foresee in in some sort of world that, that she would probably do the same. There is an ideology which is. A left ideology that 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 really um, has a problem with Western values, with United States, with Israel, with freedom and democracy. There's an ideological issue there, but actually over here it is about the financial ties and the and the political ties between Iran and South Africa, um, you know, which go back many years. And um, and 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 the the also one has to see in context of the South African foreign policy connected to that. South African po- foreign policy under this government has seen a, um, a, a an approachment to and a linking with the thug nations of the world, China, Russia, um, Iran. It's all part of a particular, which to me is such a betrayal of the South African constitution. Because remember this, South Africa, as you know, and I mean, you know, you, you, you visited South Africa and you've seen it for yourself. It is a vibrant free democracy with an independent judiciary, with a robust free press and, um, and regular, you know, transparent elections. And, and so for a democracy like South Africa to be associated with Russia, China and Iran is such a betrayal of those constitutional values um, that, it, you know, it, it, it's outrageous. And when you think about it to some extent, there used to be better ties, you know, between government. I mean, w- w- part of it comes from the fact that I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the government looks at Israel that fits into this apartheid narrative to some extent. And there's a lot of um, disappointment or anger at Israel because of the relations that we had with the apartheid government of South Africa many years ago. Or is there more to it here? You know, you know, as regard to to those connections from years back, I mean, it's 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 worthy of, um, you know, of, of a proper discussion and, and to understand all of the facts. But on, on, it's very important to note that Israel's um, uh, w- w- at many times in the United Nations voted against apartheid South Africa, voted to condemn apartheid South Africa. And, um, you know, w- when you measure sort of Israel's conduct versus many other countries in the world, it doesn't stand out. I mean, even some, you know, Saudi Arabia, many of the, the Arab nations and United States, United Kingdom, there were. But, but, but again, Israel did publicly take stands strongly against apartheid South Africa. So I know that sometimes that is used against Israel. Right. I mean, I'm saying at the government level, I know that they, they, they I've heard that among South Africans and you see it in the media and it's in columns and people write it and they flaunt that. Yeah. It's un, it's unfair. It's unfair. And, and, and as well as, you know, the use of this apartheid word against Israel, it's something which I take particular offense to, uh, as many do. But, but I say that, um, firstly, as someone who who grew up um, in in the in the you know the final years of the apartheid system in South Africa, I mean, I was born in 1971. Freedom and democracy came to South Africa in 1994. So I saw apartheid in those years firsthand, and I know Israel. You know, I visit Israel as you know many times in the year. I know deeply. Into, I know both countries deep. There, there is nothing in Israel um, which 
and 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 it's important to state it because you know when people you know when 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 our enemies keep repeating the lie of apartheid occupation genocide they keep on repeating these things as you know uh, uh Goebbels did you know, understanding that the more you repeat a lie the more that people you know are likely to believe it it's important so i think in a certain sense what's driving everything from from the south african point of view is this connection to iran and and Hamas and Qatar Qatar is playing a very um poisonous role in 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 so much of what happens in global politics and it's not just South Africa but we know that Qatari money funds you know the Brookings Institute Georgetown University all of the people who are going into American government it and there there is a a a strategic ploy which is being made there's a battlefield that is against Israel it's not just the fields of Gaza it's being fought in in all of these different planes 100% and and I mean apartheid there's a there's a, that Jewish comedian actor Michael Rapaport who I, I, people might be familiar with he's a bit foul-mouthed but he actually tweeted yesterday I'm here in Jerusalem I'm looking for the apartheid can someone point to me where it is cuz I can't find it uh Rabbi Goldstein the the let's talk about the ICJ so it, it, based on what you're explaining South Africa being the, the so-called useful idiots of the Iranians, they decide to take Israel to the the ICJ with the genocide charge, which is ridiculous in of itself. When we, we don't have to necessarily talk about the merits of the case, because I think we all can agree that it's it's absurd. But this is a huge escalation for Israel, right? To be brought before a court. And I know that you had a lot of grave concerns about what it means legalistically for Israel, diplomatically, of course. What were your feelings about that? Yeah, well, you know, um, as you mentioned before, um, you know, that, that that apart from my rabbinic background, um, you know, I have I have a PhD in law and my the, the my my area of, of my thesis was in human rights law and in constitutional law and, and trying to to understand these things. And um, you know, I, I think what 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 is what I learned from that thesis and from my research is that um, for for a judicial forum to be defined as such that this is really a court of law, it it needs to, it a lot of it goes to who appoints it and what is its its level of independence and what kind of framework of law does it function within, and and so therefore the ICJ ultimately is a body of the United Nations. It has as much credibility in my opinion, as, as UNRWA or any one of the other United Nations institutions. That's what it is. It is appointed by the majority of members of the General Assembly, granted with rights of veto from, from Security Council. But, but ultimately, it is an appointed body of the United Nations. And the majority of members of the member countries of the United Nations are not democratic. And so what, what you have here, and this to me is a, an, is a national security threat, not only to the state of Israel, but to any functioning democracy in the world, when non-democratic countries can control an institution that, that has the, the, the legal authority and the political authority to summons a democracy and to sit in judgment over the democracy's right to self-defense, that is an untenable situation with regards to the national security of the free world. How can Israel's right to self-defense be adjudicated by a body of the United Nations? And what precedent does that set for the United States, for the United Kingdom? And so the non-democratic nations, Russia, China, Iran, are using the global network of, of, of these international law bodies 
to 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 weaken democracies because everybody knows this Israel has the firepower to win this war and all of its wars but it is being held back by the politics of what is going on in the world and therefore it's it's a national security threat so my own opinion is that you know the the Israel should walk from the ICJ it has does not have the legal or moral legitimacy to function as a court because of who appoints it but if we walk, what does that mean? I mean, right now we have these interim rulings. We have to present them with reports. I mean, they could obviously still find Israel in violation of the of the genocide convention. So we're not yet completely in the clear. And, and, and this has wide ramifications. I mean, right now, for example, we're just seeing the very small in scope, but potentially wide in numbers in the future, some of the sanctions that the United States has imposed on so-called settler violence. Now the UK has followed, France has followed, which has its own absurdity because what they're trying to do is make a moral equivalency between sporadic fringe elements of Israeli society and a state-run terrorist actor like Hamas. But, But putting that aside, this is lawfare. This is what Israel's facing. Yeah, well, I think part of what we need to do, um, and you know, I, I think this is this is a task both for the Israeli government and the Jewish world, uh, and and all people who believe in true freedom and democracy, is to make the argument um, to the United States, to the United Kingdom, and other democracies that what is needed now is a new world order. What, what I mean by that is we need a global institution that only allows democracies as its members. And that institution needs to begin to rival the United Nations. They don't have to walk out of the United Nations, but they should be kept in their box. The United Nations, the UN, with UNRWA, you know, and all of its credibility in tatters, should be should be placed where it belongs as a talk shop. But the real the real work needs to get done within an affiliation and, and an association of democracies, because the alternative is too dangerous. You know what the practical implications for Israel now and ICJ. You know, obviously the politicians and the government will understand what that means for the procurement of weapons and other kinds of things. But I'm saying the, the, the long term, this is not something that could be solved in this particular application, but the, 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 the long term national security of the state of Israel and of the free world depends on freeing itself from these in corrupt institutions that are controlled by dictatorships. This is really a battle between the free world and dictatorships. That alignment between Russia, Iran, and, and China is, is an alignment of dictatorships against the free world. And, and we need to understand what is at stake. And the United States needs to understand, the Biden administration needs to understand that what it forces Israel to do today is what the United States is going to be forced to do tomorrow. So one has to be very careful because ultimately this is a test case for a democracy fighting and and with its right to self-defense. Do, do you think, Rabbi Goldstein, that it's possible to rehabilitate the relations between Israel and the ANC or future government in South Africa? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, the the ANC is a waning force in South Africa. Their their elections coming this year. Opinion polls are now putting it at forty percent. Um, you know the previous election it was around fifty three, fifty four percent, and it's falling. Um, it it in its support levels in urban areas is now thirty percent. The ANC government has not only betrayed Israel, it has betrayed the the people of South Africa through its incompetence and its corruption. And um, the people of South Africa are so much better 
than than our government. The, the the people of South Africa have have a resilience. There are many of people of of faith, of um, of, of of good values, of a sense of um, of of many who have a positive connection to Israel and indeed to to much of what happens in Western democracies. Many opinion polls show that most South Africans, the vast majority, if they were choosing a place for their children, apart from South Africa, it would be in the West. It would, would be in the US, UK, Germany, not in Russia and China and these places that this government. So actually, I, I strongly believe, and this is what, you know, the, 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 um, that there is a bright future for relations between Israel and South Africa, not with the ANC government. That the ANC is is beyond redemption, but between the people of South Africa, the future South African government, and and the state of Israel, and I think the state of Israel should play the long game here. This is not about today and tomorrow. Uh, three to five years, things in South Africa are going to to look very different, and the state of Israel needs to to be ready for those changes that come in the future. We look forward. And Rabbi Goldstein, I want to let you go, but before I do, give us give us some hope. What can we? What? How can we? How can we be hopeful at a time of where there's great despair? You look at what's happening. Unfortunately, still the war ongoing, hostages still being held in Gaza. We did have the the, the rescue of those two, which was incredible, Fernando and Lewis this week, but still 134. As we're recording this, still Hamas leadership alive. Uh, the the diplomatic isolation, the lawfare. Where where, where do you find hope these days, Rabbi? In, in in two things. Firstly, number one, and I know this sounds counterintuitive to say, but I believe that the state of Israel is safer today than it was on October 6, because we at least know the enemy and we know the threats. That's number one. Our eyes are open. Uh, number two, I, I'll tell you, to me, it is about the Israeli people. I was in Israel just last week, and I Firstly, I brought a box load of letters from the um, from the children in our primary schools in South Africa, Jewish primary schools, more than a thousand letters, which I distributed to soldiers, um, those in Tel Hashomer Hospital and, and you know, in the rehab units, as well as, you know, those out on the on, on the front lines at some of the, the the rest stations near the near the Gaza border. And the firstly, the warmth of the letters, the warmth of the reception from from the soldiers, but the the spirit you know, of wounded soldiers who have months ahead and sometimes longer of rehab. But the, the heroism of, of Israelis, I spoke to to families of, of hostages. The, 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 I found Israel on this trip, there was obviously a somber atmosphere and sometimes almost a, a sense of sadness, which I've never known Israel to have. But at the same time, resilience, strength, heroism. To my mind, as I was walking through the streets, you know, of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and meeting with people, um, people, you know, in every walk of life and and um, soldiers and government ministers and and all, you know, from every different part of, 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 of Israeli society had a deep sense of the of the heroism and the resilience of the spirit and the sense of national purpose. Um, and, and I found the spirit of Israel to be strong. And I can say Together with that, Jews in the diaspora 
spirit is strong. We know we in Jews in the diaspora have endured an, an, an unbelievably painful wave of anti-Semitism globally. But 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 we, we we are strong and firm and resilient. And when one looks at Am Israel as the Jewish people across the world, with, with a strong, vibrant, independent Jewish state at our center and, and strong, vibrant demo, uh, diaspora communities living in free democracies who are powerful advocates for, for Zionism and for the people of Israel and for the state of Israel. And you look at that together with many allies that we have in the free world, the United States, UK, in South Africa, all over. We, we've got a long, hard path ahead and many enemies, but we have, with God's blessings, incredible gifts. And, and I think we can go forward into the future with, with resilience, with strength, and I believe confidence, please God. Thank you for joining us today. You can find all our episodes where you get your podcasts. Please share widely and give us a five-star review. We will see you back here soon.